God, we pray that as you sent your spirit as a dove, Lord, on the day of Jesus' baptism and anointed him to be your messenger of good news, the Messiah, Lord, we pray that that same Holy Spirit now would come and anoint your people. We pray, Lord, that you would make good news to come alive in this place today. We pray, Lord, that you would anoint me, the preacher of the word. Give me a word and due season. Lord, break every bondage that would keep us from hearing the word of God. And, Lord, apply it in our lives that we might grow and bear fruit for your kingdom. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as you are being seated and as the praise team uh, goes and uh, is seated as well, I want to wish uh, Christ Church happy birthday because it was on the feast of the Lord's baptism back in 2008 when Christ Church w- had its first worship service. We met in the basement of uh, Wesley Memorial uh, United Methodist Church over here on Bolton Street, and that was the beginning of, of this, this church body as a worshiping church body. So happy birthday, y'all. Great to have you here. Um, you know, following the, uh, the 12 days of Christmas, some of us, maybe you, certainly me, we're in a bit of a holiday hangover. Uh, we, we're, we maybe have been overdosed a little bit on festivities. In some case, literally, uh, you may be like me uh, this morning, but before the sun came up, I went upstairs to the attic and I got my given up pants out. <laughs> I feel very comfortable right this minute, I want you to know. And so as a result, though, we're probably not as excited as we could be about the feast of the baptism of our Lord. But that's not the way the early church saw things. They saw this as a very important feast day. They saw it as a a central celebration within the life of the church. In the first 300 years of Christianity, the big celebration was on January the 6th. And that feast celebrated three things. They called it Theophany or Epiphany. We still call it Epiphany to this day. They celebrated three things on January the 6th. They celebrated the birth of Christ. They uh, celebrated the revealing of the Messiah to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are represented by those three wise men who came from the east to see the child Jesus and present him with gifts. And they also celebrated the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River. So apart from the Easter celebration, this theophany, this, this epiphany celebration, which included the baptism of the Lord that we're celebrating today, was central to the life of the church. And it's still an important part of our calendar today, and it reminds us about something. It reminds us that in Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River, he is united with you and with me in a profound way. So all of us who follow Christ follow in his footsteps of baptism. Jesus has been baptized just like us. So the person and ministry of Jesus, since we're united, listen, if we're united to him in baptism, then the person and ministry of Jesus revealed in his baptism in some way carries over into our lives as well. So Jesus becomes like us by being baptized so that we can become like Jesus through our baptism as well. So this morning, I want to focus on a few of the things where we are profoundly united to Christ in his baptism. One of the things that we're united to Christ with in baptism and that he shares with us through his baptism, and I'll explain this as we go along, is death. Death. We're also united to Jesus, in his, and he is united to us in that he fully identifies with you and I 
as fallen creatures in need of redemption. Through his baptism, he identifies with that part of who we are. And the last thing that happens in his baptism is there's something about the person and character of God that is revealed that we wouldn't know any other way apart from the, the baptism of Jesus and the Jordan River. There's a wonderful revelation of the character and person of God in that Jordan River baptism. So, as I indicated, the Eastern Church and the early church often referred to this feast as theophany. Now, theophany literally means the shining forth of God. So, God is revealed to us. His being shines forth. His nature, God's nature some way, is manifested to us in the baptism of Jesus. And the very first thing that we see about the character of God is that God is willing to empty himself. Listen, God is willing to pour himself, to empty himself out for the love of his human creation. Now, we've got a special Bible word for God's self-emptying love, his pouring himself out. And that Bible word is kenosis. It's a very important word. Jesus pours himself out. He empties himself of his pre-existent glory that he has had for all eternity with the Father. He empties himself of his glory, of his majesty, of his power when he identifies with sinful humanity through his baptism. And by, by identifying with his fallen human creation, Jesus Christ takes his first steps. And this is where identifying with our death comes in and why this is so critical. He takes his first step, since he is identifying with his fallen human creation at his baptism, towards the cross. This is the beginning. This marks the first step that will end at the cross of Calvary in the ministry and life of Jesus. And so Jesus identifies with our experience of death in his baptism. We know that from the wonderful Christ hymn in, in Philippians chapter 2. That, that's a verse or a set of verses that comes up in uh, uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, over and over and over at Christ Church because it just speaks to Christ, uh, the work of redemption he's done, and who he is and what he has accomplished in such a profound way. It says this, it says, Jesus being in the very, in being very nature God, did not count equality with God, something to be equality with God, something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He poured himself out, taking on the form of a servant and humbling himself and being found in human likeness. He became, he, he humbled himself. Listen to what it says. He humbled himself and became obedient, obedient even unto death. Jesus, by taking on our likeness and by taking on our, our experience through his baptism, he identifies with our death. Now, why is that important? It's important because, look, it demonstrates the, the humility of our God. He is, um, you know, there's a phrase out there, uh, you've said it, I've said it, you, we've all heard it, death with dignity, now, I, I kind of understand what's meant by that, but let me explain something to you, brothers and sisters. And those of you who are in the medical profession, you know this firsthand. And any of, any of us who have sat by the bedside of a dying loved one knows this firsthand. There is nothing dignified about death. It is not dignified. It is the final loss of all our human control over our lives. It is the relinquishing of all that we have and giving up, listen, and as we die, if we die in Christ, we, we lay everything down in death and we trust God in that moment to bear us into his presence. Jesus knows 
the humiliation of death. He is united to us through his baptism to our experience of death. Now, the wonderful good news is this, is that by taking on our experience of death, beginning that first step towards the cross at the Jordan River, he, because he's identified with us and he calls us in our baptism to be identified with him, it doesn't end there. Because Jesus, in case you didn't know, newsflash, he didn't stay dead. That's why, this, that's why we're meeting this morning. Otherwise, we would be doing something else besides being here. Maybe, I don't know what it would be for you, but it wouldn't be worth coming here if Jesus was not alive today. And here's what happens, and the scripture is very clear about that. Just as he has identified with us in death, he lets us be identified with him in his resurrection. So that that is the completion. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So here's the deal. By our baptism, being united to Christ, this happens. We are given a new beginning. If any man be in Christ, therefore he is a new creation. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things are made new. Everything becomes new. So our beginning of the resurrection experience begins when our faith and baptism unite and when the new birth is experienced in our lives. But we are connected to Jesus in death. There's a lot of death language in the baptism ceremony that we're about to have for Henry Alger this morning. It's kind of shocking. I had a friend of mine, Paul Stallsworth, years ago, had a, uh, had a service, baptismal service for a, a, an infant. And as that, uh, you know, Paul brings the child up. And before, the, before the, the service, just like this right now, there was a message. And Paul talked a lot about death as it relates to baptism. Because you can't get away from it. I just read it to you out of Romans, right? And so Paul's talking about how we die with Christ in baptism. We're bringing this baby here to die with Christ in baptism. Well, after the service, the parents and grandparents came up to Paul, and they were upset. And they said, how dare you take a cute, precious little service about baptizing a baby and turn it into something about death? Well, brothers and sisters, I got to tell you, what's going to happen this morning is Henry is going to be buried. He's going to die with Christ in baptism so that he might live again and never die. And that's the promise of baptism. That's what's, that's what's signified in this sacrament of holy baptism. God wants us to have new life. We die to our old lives and we begin a new life with Christ, a life that will never end. So in one sense, brothers and sisters, when you and I physically die, we're just catching up with what happened at our baptism. And then when we are raised again from the dead, all that was promised to us in baptism is fulfilled. And that's what we, excel, we celebrate and we remember as we're united to Christ in this wonderful feast of the baptism of, his, of our Lord in the Jordan River. Now, we also are, Jesus also willingly identifies himself with our fallen human condition in baptism. We sang it in the, uh, in the sequence hymn this morning as the gospel was processed out. When Jesus came to Jordan to be baptized for John, he did not come for pardon. 
Jesus had no need of pardon. He didn't need remission of sins. He didn't have any sin to confess. But what he does do is he fully identifies with fallen humanity. He says this, when when he receives baptism, I am one with your suffering and brokenness. I'm one with you. I take upon, I am beginning now, I am taking upon myself your sin, and that will ultimately be completed at the cross. I will fully take it upon myself at the cross. Early church father, St. John Chrysostom, said this, "For For whither did he come? To the Jordan. Why? To be baptized by John. But sinners came to John. They confessed their sins to him and were baptized. But he was without sin, could not be touched by sin, was absolutely free of it and pure. Yet nonetheless, he humbled himself. He humbly stands in line. He humbly stands in line with other sinners as if he were in need of this cleansing, washing with water. So Jesus' willingness to be like us, to be identified with our fallenness, actually has life-transforming power for those who confront this truth. Jesus' willingness to fully enter into our human experience, as we talked about with his death, and now as the one who has come to bear our sins as well, that has life-transforming power if we are only willing to be confronted by that truth. Um, C. Kilmer Myers loved to tell the story about uh, the church that he had in, in uh, I think, the Lower East Side of Manhattan. I don't know any of the New York geography. It's actually, it was actually Trinity Church on Wall Street. So I don't know. If you've been to New York City, you've probably seen this beautiful 300-year-old Episcopal church. But uh, his, his nickname was Kim, Kilmer Myers. He later became a bishop in, in California. But C. Kilmer Myers loved to tell the story about Emma. Emma was a Jewish Holocaust survivor. And every day at 4 p.m., she would come and stand in front of the church of Trinity Parish there on Wall Street and scream imprecations and accusations against Jesus. This went on day after day after day. Finally, Kim went down to the street and said, why don't you go inside and tell him yourself? And so... Emma went into the church, and she was gone for an hour. And uh, Kim said that, that he became concerned for her because she was gone for so long. And so he went in, and he found her. And now in that church, there was actually, uh, there was actually a crucifix. Uh, 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 Jesus is, is depicted as being crucified on the cross. It wasn't just an empty cross. It was a, we, had, we call it having a corpus, having the body of Christ on the cross, uh, Christ crucified. And he found Emma prostrate in front, lying on the ground in front of the crucifix. And he reached down, and he touched her on her shoulder, and she looked up, and her face was covered with tears. And she said this, After all, he was a Jew as well. After all, he was a Jew as well. When we realize how Jesus was willing to take upon himself our experience of death, our experience of sin and human suffering, it has the power to break our rebel hearts in two and bring transformation to our lives. Christ is revealed as one who identifies with us in his wonderful baptism in the Jordan River. He takes upon himself our weakness when he should have been clothed in majesty. 
And you know, brothers and sisters, that's important because God's redeeming work, his power of redeeming and renewing, do not flow from his majesty, but from his willingness to be lowly. The power of salvation was unleashed not through pomp and glory, but through Jesus' selfless, suffering love. And here's the application. And uh, as it applies to our lives this morning as well, God's power and blessing rest on those who will humble themselves just as their Lord is humble. When Jesus humbled himself in his baptism, he invites us to be humbled as well in our baptism. And so when we do that, just as God's anointing and favor rested on him, it will come to rest on us as well. But, beloved, if we cannot be wrong, if we cannot stand correction, if we cannot receive instruction, if we can't bear to have someone confront our sin, if we can't bear not to have things our way, if we have to be in control, if we have to have our ego constantly stroked, if we think we have to have the spotlight or we believe that we are a part of the elite in crowd or need to be, then, beloved, that is inconsistent with what Christ has revealed in his baptism and what is bestowed upon us in our baptism, and we have a serious spiritual problem. And if our life is dominated by that pattern, we need to earnestly seek God to see if maybe there might be something amiss in relation to our salvation. The baptism of Jesus also and finally reveals his special relationship with God. In this moment and the Jordan River, all three persons of the Holy Trinity are revealed together at the same time. This is, this is the exclamation point of God's theophany, his shining forth. Don't worry, he's coming back. (laughs) They're just getting him ready. Listen to what it says again uh, here in Luke chapter 3, verses uh, 21 and 22. Now, when all the people were being baptized, and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So what do we see there in the baptism? We see that the Son of God is baptized. God the Son baptized. God the Spirit comes in bodily form as a dove. And God the Father speaks from heaven. God demonstrates in this mystery that in the unity of the Godhead, and we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit right there. In the unity of the Godhead, there is community. There is community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal of one divine essence. Here's the point of application, though. In our baptism, what's revealed in, in Christ's baptism? The community of the Holy Trinity. In the unity of the Godhead, the Trinity is revealed. Here's the point of application. In our baptism, we are not baptized to be Lone Ranger Christians. We are baptized by virtue of Christ's home baptism, what's demonstrated there, into community. We are baptized into a community. We're baptized into a body of believers. You cannot live the Christian life solitarily. And by the way, 
anything that seeks to separate us from our union with the body of Christ is totally contrary to what is being revealed here in Christ's baptism and what has been bestowed upon us in our baptism. Sometimes, let me tell you what will separate us from community with the body. Sloth! (laughs) Sometimes, sometimes it's just a difficult relationship in the body. There was a guy one time, his wife was uh, begging him to go to church. It was Sunday morning. You've got to get up and go to church. You've got, I, she's, I don't want to go. I have so much, I, I, those, those people have hurt my feelings. I don't want to be there. She said, listen, you're the pastor. You have to go. So sometimes it can be broken relationships or strained relationships. Sometimes the enemy will use shame to separate us from community, to make us feel ashamed, to make us forget what Christ has done on our behalf. Anything like that is not of the Lord. He longs for us to be in community. It is revealed in the Scriptures in Christ's baptism. Moreover, Christ in Christ's baptism, and this really harmonizes with the last thing we talked about, His being uh, like us and made lowly like us. In Christ's baptism, God reveals that His delight and His special favor rest on those who are baptized. Listen, uh, when Jesus is baptized, the Father speaks, you are my beloved son, with you, with you I am well pleased. Please hear me. Every one of us who has received the sacrament of baptism, God is saying over us, singing over us, shouting over us, you are my beloved child, with you I am well pleased. Did you know that God says that about you? faithful, born-again, baptized Christian, did you know that God says that you are my beloved child, with you I am well pleased? As a matter of fact, if you're a born-again, baptized, believing Christian, I want you to say that with me right now. I am his beloved child. I am his beloved child. With me, me. he is is. well pleased. You need to believe that. It will change your life. Will Willimon said that in baptism we are initiated, crowned, chosen, embraced, washed, adopted, gifted, reborn, killed, and thereby sent uh, killed and thereby sent forth and redeemed. We are identified as one of God's own, then assigned our place and our job within the kingdom of God. Now, I don't want you to miss this before we move on. The context for the pronouncement of God's favor towards Jesus is important. It is at the very moment when Jesus accepts his identification with us as fallen, humili- uh, fallen, broken people. In other words, when Jesus is humiliated in baptism, God's dramatic favor is revealed upon him. Here is the point of application. In the moment when we humble ourselves in Christ, in the moment when we, when we identify with the least, the broken, the lost, the poor, in the moment when we are willing to confess and repent of our sins humbly, at that moment of humiliation, We are embraced by God, and God delights in us. God loves us with such a gracious love. We're adopted into God's family when we receive Christ and offer our lives completely to him. Christ identified with us in his baptism so that we can be identified with Christ in our baptism. I love what the late Father Thomas Hopko says about baptism 
Uh, I want you to listen. It's, it's, it's kind of an intense quote, a little lengthy, but listen. Baptism is the symbol of death and resurrection. Christ came to the earth in order to die and be raised. Baptism is a symbol of repentance of sin and its forgiveness. Christ came as the Lamb of God who takes upon himself the sin of the world in order to take it away. Baptism is a, is a symbol of sanctification. Christ has come to sanctify the whole of creation, like I've said before. When Jesus got into the Jordan River, he didn't so much get wet as the water got jesus He affects all of creation. He sets it apart again to himself. This is mine, the Holy Son of God, immersed into the waters of, of the Jordan. It is God reclaiming, rehallowing, resanctifying creation. Baptism is a symbol, finally, of radical renewal. When one is baptized, the old is over and the new has come. And Christ has appeared on earth to bring all things to an end and to make all things new. The act of baptism, therefore, contains in symbol the entire mystery of Christ, the whole purpose of his coming. Let me ask you this, brothers and sisters, just as we come to the end of this, this sermon. I want to ask you this, listen. When we, what we say in the 39 Articles of Religion is this, is that when the sacraments are rightly received, that they confer the things that are signified. So the sacrament of the new birth is holy baptism. And when it is rightly received, it confers the things signified. How, is, how are the sacraments to be rightly received? Listen, with faith. Faith is the right. In other words, when we receive what is offered to us in, this, in these sacraments, we receive the things signified. Here's my question. Has, he can talk all he wants to. It's all about him this morning. Here's my question for you. Has your faith caught up with your baptism? Has your faith caught up with your baptism? I love the, look, I have, um, uh, I grew up in the Methodist church. I love the fact that I didn't have to, to jettison all of that good stuff because John Wesley died a priest of the Church of England, an Anglican, okay? So he didn't stop being an Anglican. He just got born again. All right, so it can happen still. It does, believe me. But his mama is the one, one that I want to point to right this second. Susanna Wesley had this happen to her. She had grown up in the household of a Puritan uh, father and grandfather. And she was baptized as an infant, just like Henry is going to be baptized. But here's the wonderful thing. One day, her faith caught up with her baptism. Do you know where it caught up with her baptism? It happened at the Lord's table. As a baptized follower of Christ, coming with all the faith that she had at that moment, it was when she came and received the sacrament of the Lord's Supper that her heart was changed because at that moment, her faith caught up with her baptism, and she was converted at the Lord's table. May it happen again. May it happen today. Has your faith caught up with your baptism? We're about to bestow upon, upon Henry right now. God is actually about to do this, but we as his instruments, as the body of Christ gathered here, all of the grace of God that anybody would ever need to be born again. And so we look forward to the day as we catechize Henry, as he's raised by believing parents, as he's taught the Christian faith from childhood on, when Henry's faith will catch up with his baptism. Even so, may it come quickly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.